0: a vast memory capacity.
1: This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual.
2: Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir.
0: As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years.
2: Outstanding.
0: Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer,
3: status report. From this time forward, you will service us. The priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? Right.
2: Into. It. Make it so.
0: big thank you to Kate Kingsmill for the last three hours with the Distant Sky. She'll be back next Wednesday from four to seven. Gosh, there were some beautiful sounds going on there. Welcome to Bite Into It. Tonight, we've got Lily. Hello. And Joe. Good evening. And I'm Vanessa. And we're so happy to be back after a beautiful summer break. How are you?
1: Oh, uh, look, I'm stoked that the humidity has gone away, to be honest. Yes,
0: we've timed this well.
1: Not my favourite weather.
0: (laughs) It's pretty good. And we do want to say a big thank you to all the people who broadcast in this beloved slot over the summer. Um, Thanks to our Games Focus pals, Maze and Dan M, who covered us through December. And then Nat Harris and Hannah Camilleri with Pet Nat and Hannah Chocolat Radio. It was delightful. This slot has never been funnier. Thank you for bringing the joy. (laughs) That was great. Um, hilarity, definitely. So tonight we're back on our shtick. We're back about how technology fascinates us and interests us and makes us think about taking things apart and building things in interesting ways, but also how it affects us and, and what we can do and, and our society and our, um, just enabling things with technology. So we're going to hear about an open resource this evening that will help you with all sorts of different skills,
1: yeah, the uh, the Open Practice Library. So the um, Donna Benjamin, the maintainer of the Open Practice Library, is going to come in and talk to us a little bit later about what that is, what it's all about, how you can get involved, why you'd want to use it. I have lots of questions and Donna's going to answer them.
0: I'm really excited about that. Donna's been someone who's on the show's radar for years now. Uh, yeah, we're super keen to, to have them in. Uh, before we get there, though, a little bit of news as usual. We like to start local. What's been happening in the legislative space, Lily?
1: What hasn't been happening in the legislative space? It's been quite a time. Um, so so a few things. First off, disclosure, I'm on the board of Digital Rights Watch, so we have a bit of an incentive to pay attention to this kind of thing. Um, and we've had quite a time uh, with the number of proposals for changes to legislation that affect... Digital tools, the internet, social media—that have been coming out over the last little while. Um, there have been there have been lots. The most recent one um, submissions closed. Uh, can't remember now. Last week, the week before, um, about the uh, the anti-trolling bill. You folks, yeah, the anti-trolling bill. Yes,
0: and I love that it sounds so mythical and like it should be a good idea. But mm. what's it really about, Lily? <laughs>
1: well, I um seeing this earlier today, actually uh, that. The anti-trolling bill only has the word "trolling" in the title. It doesn't have the word "troll" anywhere else in the in the bill and the proposed bill. Um, so it's not a defined term, then. No. Uh, so it could could literally mean you know creature who lives under a bridge for all, for all that we know. So misunderstood too. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Baldy um, roll. <laughs> But um, in terms of what the bill actually is proposing to do, um, it's about social media companies uh, being able to unmask or being incentivized to unmask commenters and people who are posting um, so that people uh, people who have posted things that may be defamatory so that the victims of defamation can have some kind of recourse to justice and part of this involves treating social media companies as publishers which currently they aren't which has been quite an important thing over the last five odd years given you know the way that social media has impacted society and the I'd way say that even, we think about even, things.
0: Yeah, even longer in the sense that you know they weren't held to the same accountability standards that your um, old school media outlets were.
1: No, and still aren't. And that, that dichotomy is, is a really interesting one. Um, and later on, I know that we are (laughs) like many others going to talk a little bit about Spotify. And one of the issues about Spotify is also, you know, is it a media platform? Is it a publisher? What, you know, there are a lot of questions. What are their responsibilities around the content they're publishing? Yeah. Um, and so the anti-trolling bill is a really interesting one in that case. Um, So when we think about the damage that trolls do, if we take this
0: at face value Mm. and and we say, well, you know, I can be bullied, I can be harassed in, you know, all sorts of ways, um, is defamation the be-all and end-all, you know, uh, sort of, I guess, response to um, to kind of even up the score after you've been a victim of trolling?
1: I mean, it's an interesting one and I also have to, you know, I've got to say that, you know, that is probably a very harrowing experience to go through mm, if, you mm-hmm. know, if you're having a hate campaign against you online, particularly as, you know, an everyday person. Um, but yes, it's certainly something that I know has been popular with um, with government ministers and things like that um, to uh, most recently, Peter Dutton sued somebody for posting something that he considered to be defamatory on Twitter and he won.
0: Mm.
1: And so it's it's interesting to think about this legislation in the wake of that event it's
0: interesting I think to think about it in the wake of who has power and who has money because mm. to take advantage of defamation protections you have to have enough money to pursue um, you know protection or or you know repairs yes. under the law and what I think is a real um, gap here is that social media companies in general have abrogated their responsibility to give people the sort of tools to help manage and deflect against um, harassment online you know bombarding of things you know inadequate blocking tools and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff and uh, and I think it's it 's kind of lazy to go down this path and go, oh, anonymity is the problem. It's just, you know, if if trolls can be anonymous and do this, then, you know, you yeah. need to go to the courts and take it out. That way we don't want to spend money building features so that you can behave, you know, have a safe experience online.
1: Well, I know that we a lot of us were all really hoping that um, perhaps the YouTube comments section might improve after Google <laughs> brought in that, you know, the real name policy that they had for a while there where they were like, great. You, do you remember a few years ago when yeah. Google said, well, we're going to unify all your identities online and all of that. And so they decided, right, well, everybody's real name's going on the YouTube comments and nothing changed. Yes, it's completely (laughs) damaging. Well, look, they're trying it. Um,
0: There's some huge flaws and there've been some really uh, well-written criticisms of um, the legislation and how it's attempting to solve this problem. Uh, worth reading an article in the guardian about proposed anti-trolling laws and how they might indeed worsen online abuse. Um, yeah, something to keep an eye on. Mm. Definitely. Hey, something that was a little bit more hopeful, but far from our jurisdiction, uh, was, uh, it came up on, on the American PBS news today. And there's a U.S. representative for California. whose name is Roe Canna, uh, and uh, they have a book out called Dignity in the Digital Age, talking about many ways companies could better address their responsibilities to community and society. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, you can open that if you want to, is what I'm trying to gesture. Oh, yeah, no worries. Um, We're trying to be COVID safe in our studios here. <laughs> but also manage noise as things go by. Um, anyway, so this this representative um, was talking about the many ways companies could... Um, do things strategically to improve outcomes for the societies in which they work, Um, think better about how their policies affect democracy, how to make technology work for all of us. And they've published... This book, I just thought it was incredibly hopeful and sort of above and beyond the call to duty for an elected representative to actually publish a book with all of their ideas about how much better things could be, and full of interviews with people who who also um, were embedded in technology companies. So it's not a, a little wishful dream in isolation. It's actually something that you know they've been living in Silicon Valley and they're actively thinking about. How can we improve things? Um, That's such a refreshing point of view. It really is I think worth looking into when you're starting to feel that it's hopeless and and um, tech isn't is part of the problem. Um, I think there's lots of people thinking about how it doesn't have to be, and it really can be a force for good. We just need enough will and energy behind you know the good ideas about how yeah. to do that.
1: It's it's great also to see you know people in politics talking about tech in these hopeful ways instead of talking about tech in punitive ways. Yeah, which I think that we get quite a lot of here. See previous news items. Yeah,
0: well I guess we could probably think about how ineffective um, policing of different cultures can be as an agent for change mm. instead of a kind of yeah restorative justice or engaging with communities around around ideas. So yeah, there's a lot of parallels to um, the legal system. We're seeing a lot of intersection mm. there. Uh, I really liked uh, Representative Canner's ideas around really thinking about where they locate different parts of their companies so that they could um, create job opportunities
1: across the country. And- yeah,
0: and all the benefits that something as simple as that would do.
1: I'm going to have to give that a read because it's hard for me, you know, not to be cynical about it, I suppose, coming from my particular point of view. And to be honest, it would be great to get something with a bit more of a dose of hope. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up.
0: Well, we'll see. You know, they could always disappoint us next week. That's
2: the, that's the political <sighs> game.
1: Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app.
2: Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot.
0: We are wondering if you, like us, have noticed popping up on your streets, little specks of lime everywhere, little scooters um, hanging out on corners, mm-hmm. looking like they're ready for trouble. Hopefully uh,
3: not hanging out at the bottom of Mary Creek uh, or there's the Yarra, yeah. been
0: one at the bottom of the Yarra already. It was oh, reddited. Really? Reddit is reliable for that. But let's hope that doesn't happen because it's terrible waste of resources and terrible for the environment. But Lime slash Uber have partnered to put a whole lot of e-scooters on our streets from the 1st of February. And um, they've partnered with a company called Neuron Mobility uh, to make 1,500 e-scooters available. So that's how many you're seeing kicking around.
1: Right. And I think
0: they're running around redistributing them at night. So they've they've each got trackers in them and then, you know, you can sort of – see where they're at. It's part of a one-year trial that will put these vehicles in three inner city council areas. So it's City of Melbourne, Yarra and Port Phillip who are investigating this. And uh, you would say Melbourne's probably a great location for a scooter. We're not super hilly. Um, A scooter can probably get you up most hills. It might have a bit of a challenge going up that hill into Northgate. (laughs) But other than that, pretty, pretty good. We've got a lot of flat things. Batteries have pretty good life on these scooters nowadays. They're, they're all partnered with helmets. So let's hope it stays that way. That's, you know, you've got to have a helmet to be safe. I
3: don't, I don't want to wear someone, a helmet that's been on someone else's head, though. I'm okay with that. I'm, no?
1: I'm, you you know, could... It might be a bit weird. Like... It's, it's <laughs> interesting. I thought, so Melbourne Melbourne's one of the very last cities, or at least on the east coast of Australia, to get Scooters like this. I remember going to Canberra last year, and they were full of scooters. Have you know? I yeah, know Hobart. Brisbane a couple yeah. of years ago,
0: and um, they were doing really well there, despite mm. it being quite hilly. Actually, yeah, what maybe
1: are... maybe because of I don't know. Do they go with up pills? What are the charges? They must. What are the charges like? I haven't looked into that. No. Yeah. <laughs> But but from what I understood, um, e-scooters were illegal in Melbourne. Um, yes. So are they still illegal? What's going well, on?
0: Yeah. The thing is, they're not all illegal, but there's, the requirements are so restrictive that they might as well be. Um, okay. So there's massive regulatory challenges for people. So it's illegal to use most e-scooters in Victorian public areas on, so that means on footpaths. And it can be illegal on shared paths, and then it can be illegal on some roads. So the only vehicles that can legally be used have to have a top speed of less than 10 kilometres an hour or a power output less than 200 watts. And it's actually hard to buy very many scooters that have specs that low. Mm. Um, I don't know if you've spent much time glancing at scooters on the streets, but I've even (laughs) – accosted is too strong a word, but spoken to someone who rocks up at my local cafe with a scooter, because I was so curious about, you know, if they're enjoying it and how high powered yeah. it was. And this was a Huawei one. And they were just like, it's amazing. It only costs this much. The charge lasts this long. It's really fun. And I said, so is it legal? And he's just like, not really, but it's not illegal. <laughs> and no one stopped me. And um, yeah, so it's it's in that awful grey zone place where people don't want to spend money investing in a scooter if they're only going to get in trouble for riding it?
1: Well, I have seen quite a few people around um, in the last couple of years on scooters anyway, because I know that places like JB will sell them, places like that do tend to, um, even if they are illegal. But from what I understand, they are just saying, look, you, you can buy this as long as you say that it's for private use and you won't write it off your property. <laughs> and then we can sell it to and you. And
0: then you take it out into the streets of Brunswick. Yeah.
1: And you're like, it's my, my property. property. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The, the People's Republic. Is fine. <laughs> but yeah, that was what I understood. So it's really interesting to see this happen. And I know that um, from friends who live in cities where there are a lot of scooters, these have not been popular with locals. Mm-hmm.
0: It's so tricky, right? I am really torn about this because on one side, uh, you hear about the uh, academics of building good cities and walkability is key. But mm. aside from walkability, the next hardest thing to solve is the last 100 metres or is it 100 mile? I can't remember exactly what the measurement is. Metres and miles
1: are different. I know, so they're they're say massively meters. different. There's
0: massively <laughs> different. But there's a last... I I think it's like there's a last something issue. I know in supply chain, it's mile. mile? They talk about last mile in supply chain, but I don't know in this area because it's not my area. But really the issue is, you know, you get public transport that will take you this far or a car that will take you Mm. to a car park or whatever. And then you've still got to get from there to some other area. And so for people with different mobility challenges Mm. or people who just have to fit in a fair bit of moving from different locations in a day, uh, time becomes a factor, you know, you've only got so much time and then effort becomes a factor. And so if you can actually reduce the time and effort to travel those last distances, you can actually have a tremendously more functioning,
1: uh, city. Well, I think that it's a really great idea. I know that, um, from, from what I've heard and from also what I've seen when I've been to other cities, um, you know, those golden days where you can just go to other Uh places. Um, (laughs) Is, is the, the way that people treat them in public spaces and yeah. just leave them everywhere is what most people dislike about yes. living with them is, you know, the, the the way that they do end up in creeks, apparently. Mm. And I know we had similar issues with the O-bikes um, when they were a thing, although scooters are a lot more practical than a mm. bike in terms of the rideshare thing. They're smaller, mm. all of that, but which yeah. also
0: makes them easier to toss into a river, yeah. which is Or up a tree, or,
1: yeah. But I'm hoping that perhaps
0: the environmental mindedness of people is only increasing. And hopefully they're starting to think, gosh, this is a resource. I can't just waste it. Like, is yeah. that, that's just way too oh, optimistic.
1: Well, I, I mean, I like it. I like your optimism and I am really hoping that it will be a thing. I also hope that because, um, I mean, I haven't really actually heard that much because there have been those e-bikes as well on the streets that mm-hmm. Uber and Lime have been putting out as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't heard that much about them being as maligned as the O-bike thing was. Um, so I don't know whether that is you know partly a result of the pandemic or whether it is just that people are used to them now as bikes as a public resource and hopefully the scooters will end up the same way.
0: I wonder, I love all the positive uh, stories I hear about e-bikes. Um, I think it's I'm trying to remember if it's Bodan or – oh, no, it's another guest who calls in to Tim Thorpe on the weekends and talks about, um, you know, running a bike shop and, and how wonderful e-bikes can be for so many people.
1: Oh, I've got one. I love it so much. I could uh, – I mean, I know that we don't have all the time in the world. I really could go on about it. But, no, I got one a couple of years ago um, during the first – or second lockdown, you know, one fine blurs day afternoon. Um, (laughs) and it's been really great just, you know, for zipping around places where normally I would have used public transport Mm -hmm. and, um, haven't felt comfortable to use public transport. Yeah, um, and just being able to do that with because I don't own a car. Yeah, so yeah, being able to do that with an e-bike and not really having to worry too much. Yeah, you've at, got the fresh air in your face rushing by, safe. Yeah, yeah, it's, and it's it's wonderful. It's also great to you know sort of have have that option of using a bike to get somewhere without having to worry about if there's like a shower at the other end. It's great
0: look, Melbourne, I'm just calling out to you, just let's make these e-scooters happen. You know, let's use them responsibly. (laughs) Let's care for them. Let's, you know, let's move around and have fun with our friends. And then let's hope that sensible regulatory controls come into place so that we could actually invest in these if we want to. It could be a really great solution.
1: I just
3: did a bit of Googling around pricing and um, someone called Russ Keys reported on Tech AU yesterday that – Lime Scooter, he did a ride, um, a four point eight kilometer ride yesterday and it cost him seventeen dollars ten. Once. Yeah. So I don't know how don't know how it kept, that is, but there's another one called Neuron, um, where they have uh, day passes or three day passes, weekly or monthly passes, which seem to work out a bit more reasonable.
0: I think it's like an entry level thing. You know, this might be the thing that converts people into saying this is a good transport solution for me maybe I'll invest in one but nobody's going to buy them if we haven't got really clear set rules about where we can use them and what's legal
1: and where we can leave them
0: yeah well yeah but if we're buying our own ones that will be less of a
1: problem well I'd be worried about it
3: it getting stolen if I parked it somewhere
1: yeah maybe that's maybe that's the thing if you know if it's yours and your property you're going to take better care of it
0: true they're they're pretty compact. Most of them fold. You can yeah. you know take them with you.
1: It's going to be the next thing: is scooters on trams at peak hour. In the <laughs> you've after-times. called it. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Somebody come back to this and point at me and say how prescient I but was. But the
0: funny thing is, why would you be on a tram if you had the scooter? Only if you run out of battery. But Maybe then everyone understands. Yeah. It's like when people break the rule and put their bike on there because they literally can't haul their bike any further with the you know flat tire or yeah. the bent wheel or whatever it
2: is. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website
3: at rrr.org.au.
1: And up now we have um, Donna talking about the Open Practice Library. The Open Practice Library is a community driven community-written and open-source collection of practices that teams can use to work together on creative and technical projects. Anybody can contribute to the library. All you need is a GitHub account. And to get us across what this is, who uses it, who could use it, and why they want to, we're speaking to Donna Benjamin, who is the library's current maintainer. Hi, Donna. How are you going?
2: Hello, Lily. I'm great. How are you? I'm
1: doing well. So glad to hear you. I've been meaning to get you on air for a very long time.
2: Yay, I'm so excited to be here. It's it's actually a long time since I've been on Byte into IT. I, don't think I can remember when it was I last came, so <laughs> good to be back. <laughs> so Donna, tell us, how long has the Open Practice
0: Library been around now?
2: Uh, the, the Open Practice Library is, I think, about three or four years old. It sort of existed before it existed in that it was a collection of practices being used uh, inside Red Hat by the Red Hat Open Innovation Labs. And then they had the bright idea of, hey, why don't we just make this available for everybody? And so it sort of grew, it was born born kind of by stealth. So its exact starting date is a little bit unclear. Um, But it's now grown to be, I think we're approaching 180 also practices contributed by all sorts of people and drawn from all sorts of different um, sort of realms, if you like. So there's lots of agile stuff, but there's system thinking and design thinking stuff there. There's technical practices there. It's a real mix of things that teams use to build digital products.
1: So we're saying practice a lot. Um, it's in the name of the of the library, and we're talking about that a bit. What is a practice for for those listening who who aren't quite sure?
2: Yeah, great question. And and it's kind of one of those things that's defined a little bit differently depending on who you ask. But for our purposes, a practice is an activity that you do to serve a particular objective or outcome. So it's very it's practice and. That it leads to it being practical but also practice in the sense that you practice things to get better at them so it kind of risks on those all those different kind of ideas but say let me let me make it tangible with some examples right a common practice that some people in in sort of the, the IT and digital space and the agile space would be familiar with is something called a retrospective so at the end of a week or two weeks work you all gather together compare what, um, you know, talk about what you've done, what worked, what didn't work, but really what's important is what can we do better? What can we learn from what we've done so that we can improve our next, um, our, our next uh, iteration together, our next sprint, our next kind of uh, body of work? What can we do better having learned from what we've just done? So that's a retrospective and that's a practice. As an example, um, I'm just thinking another one that we've just added is the check-in practice. So a team comes together and meets, whether it's daily or weekly, they should just check in with each other and first first to sort of establish their purpose and presence for being there um, and focus and put aside things that might distract them. So, yeah, they're the kinds of things that, that are some of the more team-focused practices. But then there's other things where we introduce like technical concepts like um, pair programming or mob programming. And so the practice there is that, uh, you know, you work together um, in pairs to to create code or to learn something. Uh, Or you work together as a whole group and do it together. So that's mob programming. So there are other examples. Does that sort of help?
0: It really does. Those are some great examples. And I'm a big fan of the check-in. And uh, when I was introduced to that, it was by someone who'd been working with a New Zealand team and they started calling it the chicken. And
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I swear to you, I did only when I'd been away from New Zealand for about five years and went to the airport that I first heard chicken. I'd never heard it. I'd never heard it before, but I finally realised what
0: I'm a big fan. It means that you start the chicken with a smile and uh, it's great. So Donna, when you've got these practices, you know, um, lots of them are agile practices, but you've got all sorts of other practices as well. Yep. And we know that there's a million flavors of agile, for example. Mm-hmm. Do you have like an expansive sort of philosophy to the range of different ways that you'll express a practice? And, and do you give any guidance around this practice might be good for this sort of scenario versus this other practice, which might be stronger for this sort of scenario?
2: Yeah, look, absolutely. Fantastic question. So we, I say we have an agnostic approach to the religion of Agile. <laughs> um, we, we, you know, we, we're not sort of subscribed to any particular church. Uh, we have a very kind of broad and open view about, um, you know, what what should should or should not be in there, really. There's not a lot of should not. Basically, if you are a practitioner, and you practice our practice, then, you know, we want to hear from you and and, and we want to hear about how that's worked for your team. So the thing we don't have but is on our wish list for the future is a way to curate a list of practices for a particular kind of activity. Like we know that people develop, you know, okay, I'm going to use this check-in, I'm going to use this goal-setting exercise, um, I'm going to use this prioritization kind of tool, and I'm going to have my favorite uh, retrospective is starfish, so I'm going to end with that, right? So Mm. we know people create their own kind of recipes, if you like, But at the moment, our site doesn't have the feature to do that, but that's definitely something that we want to build in the future. Oh, it sounds like space for a
0: volunteer to really make a difference.
2: Oh, absolutely. And volunteers very much welcomed, invited to get involved because it really is about building the community around this. Because one of the things that I've said for a long time is that open source and the world of Agile have so much in common, but the communities are really distinct and different. And the open practice library is like the first place I saw that really brought those two, quite revolutionary, you know, ideas together in a really meaningful way. And so the community that's building around it is really kind of drawing on, um, you know, the distinct and difference, the distinct differences from those communities, but bringing them together in a way that's really, I think, really harmonic, if you like.
1: <laughs> so what's the open source part of this you know we talk about open practice library you've mentioned community you've mentioned contributions how does that work in the context of something like a group of practices i know i'm used to thinking about open source in terms of code but this isn't that great
2: question so you know wikipedia right so wikipedia is um uh, a body of knowledge that anybody can contribute to So the open practice library starts at that level. If you go to the open practice library and you go to any practice page and you look in the top right-hand corner, there's a little grey button that says improve this practice. Anybody can click on that, then log into our, our content management system called Netlify using their GitHub ID and they can go ahead and edit it. They can make changes, they can fix typos, they can add links, all of that sort of stuff. So it is, it is truly open in that respect. There is a gate in that I will review um, anything that gets added, um, and there's a few other people who help with reviewing things. Um, so, you know, it's not just complete open out like Wikipedia. So we have a little bit of a gate there. But as I said, we're pretty agnostic. So that's level one of how you can contribute to the practices themselves. You can also add a whole new practice. Um, just go in there, add a practice, and that goes in as a draft, and we'll have a look at it. and it goes through the review process. But then if you are really interested in helping with the project itself and the website and all of that, then GitHub is our home. So o- github.com slash openpracticelibrary. Um, in there is where we've got issues, where the code all lives, where... All the content lives as, um, as, as files that you can look at and you can get involved and, and, you know, post issues if you see bugs or you've got suggestions for improvements, then dive straight in, in um, on GitHub. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an open source project in itself. So very much welcome people to get involved.
0: It's very meta. I like that. Um, so, Donna, <laughs> do you uh, do the equivalent of stubs like Wikipedia does? Do you have wish list areas that you hope that people will build out?
2: really great question. We don't at the moment, but there are a few issues in the in our issue queue where people have said, I want to see a practice about X and they've kind of put that there wishing for it, right? But what we say is just go start it. It doesn't have to be perfect. So, you know, I, I really want to um build on that idea of, you know, accepting stubs and it can just be a broad sketch idea and it will improve over time. Yeah. It's absolutely. so punk. It's so DIY. I like that. <laughs> totally. <laughs>
1: Totally, yeah. You um, you mentioned that this sort of grew out of your own internal thing. Um, mm. uh, so, what what kinds of ways do you find yourself using this library? What well, you know, what was important to bringing this collection together and having all of these things in one place? Because I know you can go and find a lot of this stuff on various different blogs and that kind of thing. So, what was important about having a library?
2: So, it's it it came from the the fact that we we had a, a bunch of professionals who had come from different um you know different like agile religions if you like right and people <laughs> bring their bring their kickbag of experience with them and we were, were we're bringing that into our engagements and there was a there was a drive to get some kind of a consistency but b knowledge sharing so it sort of started as look let's just see what we've got let's Put our knowledge on the table, if you like, and that was sort of the the genesis of it. So it started out by being a collection of practices that people were practicing, and from there it said, "Well, why don't we publish it?" Yeah, great.
1: And um, now that it's out, where do we find it?
2: Ah. Another excellent <laughs> question. I'm so glad you are. Please, please point to your 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 trusty web browser um, at openpracticelibrary. dot slash learn if you want to hear a bit more of a blurb, or without the slash learn if you just want to dive into the practices. It's a real kind of in your face smorgasbord of stuff. There's a uh, it's one of the things that's really nice about. Uh, the Open Practice Library, is it's built around this idea of the Mobius Loop, which we forked from (laughs) MobiusLoop.com and the wonderful Gabrielle Benefield, But it, it really kind of contextualizes the practices and the phase that you might use them. So we've got a discovery phase, an options phase, and a delivery phase and underpinned by a foundation of cultural and technical practice. So everything in the library kind of fits somewhere in in those areas, and it's all kind of drawn together, this lovely infinite, you know, infinity loop symbol.
1: I always forget, is it practice with a C or practice with an S?
2: It's with a C. It's with a C. And actually, also, for anybody listening, like, do me a massive favour, and if you are on Twitter, head to twitter.com slash practice library and hit that follow because like we need more followers we need to really spread the word and i really want to see you hear hear from you and shout out to us uh, on the on the twitters
0: we can absolutely support that and do that ourselves <laughs>
2: i Donna, just clicked it right this second. <laughs> i'm looking at this site and
0: while we have compared it to um to wikipedia and while we yep. have talked about it being built on git i think that visually that might set up people's expectations for a really techy looking you know, dense site to navigate. Who is responsible for your UX um, and why is it so good? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that, that, look, look, we had a team of people really work on the UX um, back in, in 20, 2020, right? So we had a real refresh in late 2020. And it was a combination of um, some red hatters, One, Darcy Fitzpatrick, she's a great UX. Um, person. She's left, since left Red Hat. Hey, Darcy, if you're out there, um, she she did a lot of uh, work on it. And, and an agency that we worked with called Rivers did some, some of that really lovely, fresh uh, design work there for us as well. So it's a combination of a team um, and, and a little bit of agency support. So yeah, it, it is. It's nice, isn't it? It's got a nice feel. I like it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty great. It's pretty great, and uh, I have all sorts of questions about, you know, how good your search is or not. But um, that's a, a question for another no, time. That,
2: yeah, no, 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 let me, let me read from that. That's
0: not search. That's a filter. Oh, it's a filter. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Yep, that <laughs> makes sense. Very good. Very good. Um, when we're talking libraries, we've got to get all this, all this sort of knowledge uh, jargon right.
2: Terminology and lingo. Right?
0: Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So I mean, I know that there are a lot of people out there who um, who are listening right now who have used these kinds of practices in their day to day work and all of that kind of thing. Um, if we are going to build out a recipes kind of feature, is that one of the things that you would hit you would head to GitHub for? Is that something you could start, you know, looking at the website for?
2: Where would you go? Yeah, for that? absolutely. Head to um, head to GitHub. Um, I haven't I haven't done my homework and really should have had the issue up before I spooked it. But um, <laughs> you know, there's a there's like a, there's a huge number of repositories um, on GitHub. So GitHub.com slash open library slash open library. So it's kind of the open practice library repo itself has got a, an issue queue with about like eighty, eighty-one issues in it. If you just scan through that you'll sort of see some of those backlog issues. So there's some calls for content practices, there's some CX, contributor experience issues that we want to look at, um, and somewhere buried in there is the wish list of you know I want to make a you know I, I kind of want to make a curated list or a recipe or something like that. But also, look if you really can, do hit us up on on the twitters, and I'm happy to kind of spend a bit of time. Uh, you know, walking you through where stuff is and how stuff works. So yeah, very, very welcome.
1: I just love this recipe idea. I think it's such a good way to use the library like this. I know you've got a lot of you've got a lot of resources there that that could be compiled in all kinds of different ways. Mm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Donna, do you find teams um, using your resource to sort of sit down and decide how they want to work together? You know, have yeah, you have you seen yeah, people yeah. start with this site?
2: Yeah, so we've actually got um, a, a deck of cards which is, um, which is a curated set of practices and one of the things that we can do with the, with the cards is kind of lay them out and sort of design, design a kind of series of workshops or an engagement and say, well, we need something in the discovery, we, you know, so what can we look at there? And we might look at practices like start with why or start at the end uh, we've got things like impact mapping and event storming, so they're in our discovery phases um, in in our options um, area that's where you've got things like which will be familiar to some people like backlog refinement where you're sort of saying well this, this is what we've got to choose from how we're going to prioritize so things like how um, how now wow you know mm. uh, all sorts of different kind of prioritization practices and so yeah having a conversation um, depending on where you're at in 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 the the process of building stuff, um, having that conversation about, you know, what's going to be useful, what's going to help us get to where we need to go next is definitely something people do with the practices, yep. Yep, yep.
0: yeah look it's brilliant having it all in one place uh i think something that happens every time you change jobs is you try and navigate (laughs) the new organization that you've joined and what their practices are and you try and find the resource that effectively does what this does um there's plenty of places putting these together as their own ip and you know running consultancies and and going in and helping people with this from scratch so actually making it cohesive is is incredible
2: and open, So actually yes. funny that you say that because um, Tim Beatty is uh, is the a global head of product uh, for the Open Innovation Labs and he was one of the really early um, uh, earlier involved in, in Open Practice Library and he, he has sort of said he's built three of these at different companies yes. over time, wow. but he's, he loses <laughs> access to them, right? Yep. Uh, you know, you, you, you build it inside a company, it becomes a company's IP and, and, and that's it, that's the end of the story if you leave that company. Whereas the open practice library is um, you know available to all and and people continue to be able to use it and, and we just hope that you know the real the real value is it's in utility and the more people who can use it the more valuable it becomes to us to them and to each other
0: and it's like learning another language isn't it you know suddenly uh, you and your team can be on the same page and go oh, yeah. yeah this is this is how we're going to communicate this you know here's our agreed you know values and how they're represented in you know, in our behaviour.
2: Totally, absolutely, yeah. I think you've nailed it with that, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: yeah, um, can you just remind us again uh, where we can go to contribute yeah. to, the practice, to, to the Open Practice Library, to have a look at it, to poke around with it? Where do we go? What do we do?
2: Yeah, so let me give you three, uh, three, three steps, right? So one, there's the library itself at openpracticelibrary.com is talk to us on the Twitters, twitter.com slash practice library. And three is at GitHub, which is our hub of contribution. So github.com slash open practice library slash open practice library. And uh, make yourself known and we will very gladly welcome you and, uh, and get you going on uh, how and where you can contribute.
1: Brilliant. Well, thank you, Donna. I know that I myself owe you an article for the Open Practice Library by the end of the week. So, <laughs> you do? Yes, I do. So um, you'll be hearing from me fairly shortly. But, um, yeah, everyone else who's out there listening, now you know where to go. All the best
0: for the project, Donna. We love it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Cheers.
1: Bye. Thank you. RRR.
0: RRR. You're listening to Triple R's Bite Into It, the last little bit of the show. We've got Lily and Joe and Vanessa in studio this evening. So happy to be back with you Uh, and so happy to have some opportunities and events to talk about this time because events were running a little dry last year. The first we want to call out is the Melbourne Accelerator Program. So applications for their first um, program running this year are now open. It's the Velocity Program, which is a part-time program for early-stage founders. It uh, offers people 10 workshops centred around customer discovery and market validation. So if you have an active business idea that you're pursuing um, and – it will be within the Melbourne jurisdiction. The participating founder has to be located in Victoria and have registered or intend to register the company in the state of Victoria. Then for the cost of $500 per founder, you get access to these 10 workshops designed to help you grow your business and lots of really tactical um, connections, uh, a well-proven program.
1: Yeah, pretty credible stuff. Yeah. Sounds like a really good opportunity.
0: Yeah. So applications close end of the month, 27th of Feb. Um, you can find all the details at www.themap.co slash program slash velocity or just look up the Melbourne Accelerator program and um, you'll find links to the velocity program
1: there. Uh, One of the other events coming up uh, next week, which I'm pretty excited about, is the Sex Tech Hackathon. Um, So ThoughtWorks is going to be hosting this, and uh, that will be run by Dr. Zara Stardust and Dr. Kath Albury, um, who are some pretty incredible sex tech researchers who've done some amazing work in the last few years. And um, we're going to, yeah, we're going to, I mean, I say we, I'm going to be there, but um, the... The hackathon is going to be a three day thing from the 11th to the 13th of February um, for people to get together to work on ideas around sex tech. And that could be physical, um, you know, objects, sex toys, that kind of thing. It could be online spaces because that's been also uh, something that definitely needs to be fortified and, and definitely improved for sex workers online. That's been a really Difficult space to be in. So thinking about how we can improve that. Mm. Um, So if that sounds like something that's of interest to you, uh, expressions of interest for participation in the hackathon are open until the 4th of February. And you can find out more about that at Mm. sextechhackathon.org. And it's all
0: going to be online. Uh, yeah,
1: I should say that mm. it, um, it was going to be in person, but we, uh, I think, uh, the thing had been, yeah, Omicron probably not the best idea, which is great actually, because it means that now anybody from all around the country, in fact, all around the world can participate if you want to, you know, do that in Australian Eastern coast time. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another thing that's coming up, which I'm also excited about, uh, is the ComfyCon AU 2022 conference. ComfyCon is a conference that started in 2020 called ComfyCon because it's this, you know, it's comfy. You can do it from your couch, do it from a sofa, (laughs) whatever. You can participate. But it's a cybersecurity conference, an online hacker conference, um, organized out of Canberra. And it has been running the last couple of years, pretty, pretty chill, nice group of people talking about cybersecurity and, um, the the call for papers for that one is open for the expressions of interest. So you can go to au dot comfycon dot rocks mm-hmm. slash call for papers call dash four dash papers. Uh, <laughs> how have we not got a better solution? for this? Yeah, comfycon. Just look up comfycon and uh, get your ideas in if you want to speak at that or run something at that because it's a really good time.
0: Love it. Um, it has been brilliant being back in studio with you two to kick off Byte for the year. We've still got more members of the Byte team just raring to get at the desks and um, present to you. Next week, we'll have one of our monthly game specials with Maze and Dan Morganti. Big thank you to our first guest of the year, Donna Benjamin, talking about the Open Practice Library. Brilliant stuff. Thanks to my fellow hosts, Joe and Lily. Thanks to Talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, and our podcaster, Matt Hall.